6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Job, chapter 1. If they were frail arguments, they'd fall apart. This wouldn't, this wouldn't be a piece of literature. Their arguments are sound. They're real, except they're wrong. You can have very persuasive arguments that stand the test of scholarship that are still wrong. The wrong, contrary to the word of God. But notice right up here as we get going here, it's God that's challenging Satan, not the other way around. Verse nine. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, yeah, no wonder he's right because you just spoiled him. He's rich and he's got all this neat stuff. Take all that away from him. You know, that's, that's sort of the flavor. Now Satan's going to, you know, set up a test here, in effect. See, Satan's premise is that Job is only after his own self-interest. He worships God for his own welfare. By the way, I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> you know, I worship God because I'm better off doing that. I know that I am, I admit it. But see, Satan's premise is that Job's doing it only for his self-interest. And this is the ultimate question for each one of us. See, we, we, we see sa- Satan's cynical um, premise uh, underlying all this. Is worship a coin that buys only, that only, you spend only for a heavenly reward? Is piety to God a contract? I do it because it's gonna, you know. Will Job serve God if he gets nothing in return? That's sort of the implied question here. We're talking about real worship instead of just thanksgiving. Now, the attack here that Satan is attacking will attack the integrity of God. And uh, because Satan is accusing God of rigging the rules. Rigging the rules. You know, it's astonishing to realize how many fundamental theological premises prevalent today attack the character of God. I'll give you two, just to, I, I think with, with two I can offend everybody. So they're probably, you know, it only takes a couple to get just about everybody here. First one is amillennialism. Most denominations, Catholic and Protestant both, are amillennial in their eschatology. Well, yes, the Lord's coming back, but he rules in our hearts. I mean, a real millennium of a thousand years, come on, get serious. They disparage the idea of a real, that's what they're called amillennial. There isn't really a millennium, that's just symbolic language. It sounds good until you realize that it's making God a liar. Because all through the Old Testament, beyond little check verses, all through the Old Testament, God hammers away. 1,845 times promises, talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ coming to rule on the earth. The babe of Bethlehem is going to take the throne of David. He never has yet. The throne of David is a, a, an earthly political throne. That's what it means. Not God's, he's not on David's throne now. He's on his father's throne. He's out of place. He's going to take David's throne. Amillennialism. 
It's not just a different viewpoint of prophecy. It's a fundamental concept of what the Bible is all about. God means what he says and says what he means. And throughout the Old and New Testament, he talks about this. To deny it is a way of attacking the character of God. Let me get even more offensive to some of you. Calvinism is another one. Dave Hunt, who I respect, very controversial, but I respect very highly, has got a new book coming out. Uh, I've got a manuscript. He's asked me to endorse it, which I have. I'll be, it'll, my endorsement will be on the cover. His title of the book is, What Love Is This? Subtitle, Calvinism's Misrepresentation of the Character of God. Ooh, that's a debate that's going on for a lot of time. What's, what's, what's new here? So you don't have just two choices, Calvinism, Arminianism. Those are just two. That's the way it's been couched. No, there's much more to it than that. And David will attack that one here. But the point is, be careful. Be careful not to attack the entire... God means what he says and says what he means, and when you stay there, you're protected. You start wandering around in some of these these uh, viewpoints, uh, you can get in trouble fast. I love, just uh, just this weekend, I had a wonderful... I had a guy drive six hours from Colorado Springs to come and spend a few hours on Saturday. We had a wonderful time. Uh, I won't get into more of the details, except... He highlights something that Rademacher said. Uh, we both know him. He's a neat guy, neat theologian. He says, we're talking about what biblical theology is. Hopefully that's what you and I are doing is biblical theology. What is biblical theology? That's the theology that lines between the exegesis, what the text really says, and systematic theology. <laughs> in other words, it's, it's the real... It's so often we, get in, we, we systematize it, and then we impose that system on whatever we find. Now, I'll set that aside. With, let's, see what the, let's, let's just follow what the text says. And it'll keep us out of trouble. Well, anyway, God is going to use Job to silence Satan. And as he does this, he's also going to deepen Job's own spiritual insight. And as he does so, he'll deepen yours and mine. So, so, and Job will be blessed doubly for, for enduring all of this. Any of you who have worked in a forge and so forth know that metal has no strength until it's tempered. And that's exactly what's going on here. Verse 10. <clears throat> Satan continues here. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. You know, this is an interesting verse. There's a very fundamental theology that we can learn here, and that is that Satan can't touch you unless God permits it. Satan's complaining. No wonder Job's uh, you know, got it. He, you have, you, haven't you put a hedge about him? You protected him. You won't let me in that fence. He's, he's, he's sealed off. Can't get my hands on him. On every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. He's, his, you know, his, all his, his portfolio is up in the market. All his ventures are prospering. No wonder he loves you. You see the implied threat there. You, you, that Job loves God because it's profitable for him. But the key insight here is that nothing can happen to any of us unless God permits it. Everything, if you're a Christian, everything that happens in your life is father-filtered. Is father-filtered. So when you have a trial in your life, one of your prayers should be, Lord, that the lesson not be wasted. Because you don't want to go through it again. <laughs> Once it's set up. Verse 11, Satan continues, Put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. That's Satan's challenge. You know, you've got, you've, you've, you've just spoiled the young man. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. His possessions is in focus here. He's going to touch other things later with his possessions. And he will what? 
curse thee to thy face. The very thing that Job was offering, giving offerings for, for fear that his sons might do. The idea of cursing God. We don't think of cursing God because that's so overt. But there's probably a thousand ways we find to curse God subtly. If nothing else, by omission. By oversight, whatever. Anyway, let's get on here. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon thy himself put not forth thine hand. In other words, God says, Okay, I'll change the rules. You can touch what he has. He says, Behold, all that he hath, in other words, his possessions, is in your power. Only upon himself. In other words, you can touch his belongings, his things, everything except his person. You can't touch that. I want you to notice something. God's restrictions are never challenged. Satan is bound. He's subservient to. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a guy by the name Koch wrote a book many years ago called Between Christ and Satan. It was a well-intended book, but the title is tragic because it implies they're equal. Christ, between Christ, as, if there, as if there's a contest between Christ and Satan. No, Christ created Satan. He's the creator. No contest in the traditional sense. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. You notice Satan didn't waste any time. He is gone like a shot. I visualize the Roadrunner cartoon. You know, he's on his way. He got his authority. He's on his way. Satan's a rebel, but he's one constrained by the rules. And there's no even suggestion that he attempts to break those rules. Those are not the issue. God is totally in control, even this, from cover to cover in this book, in the book of Job, but also in the whole Bible. God is in control. Let me give you, give you another example that many people overlook. The Pharisees determined to take Christ, but not on a feast day. I mean, the Romans would have a fit because they're worried about insurrection. We're going to take him, but not on a feast day. Check the text. And one night at dinner, Jesus announces that he's going to be betrayed. That shook Judas. He wasn't ready. That wasn't the night. This was Passover. Not only is it a feast, it's the high feast of the year. You've got to be kidding. But the cat's out of the bag. Someone here is going to betray me. And all the time he said, I am. And Satan's panicked. Christ says, what you do, you do quickly. He splits. He's got to get it together. If he doesn't do it tonight, it's over because the word's out. You got a fisher gut bait guy, so he runs to make the arrangements. Notice who's in charge. And in Judas, it's Christ. He's calling the timing. You get to Gethsemane. They're there with the, they show up with the arms and so forth. He says, Who's seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. They fall down. They're so shocked. I said, Who are you asking for? Jesus, I told you I'm he. Well, if you mean you seek, let these go their way. Look who's giving the orders to the troops. Jesus is. He controls every detail. No, God is in control in this book from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He's in control. Make no mistake about it. Don't ever lose sight of that. Verse 13. And there was a day, back in, now we're back on the earth. Now you notice, by the way, just remember this as we go through. Job didn't have the benefit of this conversation. The phone wasn't tapped. He didn't overhear this conversation, this, this deal going on here. He's, in, he's, he's living his life. And there was a day, verse 13, when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in, their elder, in the eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, 
The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Satan doesn't waste any time. Having dinner and to get message that his whole deal is wiped out by brigands, in effect. The Sabians were a region from southwest Arabia, and uh, so on. But that, you get the, the role here, of course, is, is uh, for the adversary. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped to tell thee. Here's another messenger. Comes, ragged, maybe with scars and burning, whatever. He says, let me tell you what just happened. Whew. Fire of God fell and burned up the sheep. How many sheep? 7,000 sheep? Boy, that was some fire. So we got a second messenger came, right? Verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am uh, here to tell thee. Camels were the most prized animals in that part of the world. The Chaldeans were fierce, marauding inhabitants of Mesopotamia, probably from the north. In contrast, the Sabians, which came from the south, these came from the north, but that's just details. Pretty rough, isn't it? Verse 18, we're not through. Satan doesn't waste any time. He's got his license. Boy, he runs with it. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. You think you've had a bad day? Can you try? It's you know, we don't get lost in the poetry of the thing, but can you, four messengers coming probably from four different directions saying, "By the way, catastrophe is falling. You're wiped out, fella. The mark, the Dow has gone to zero. You know, you have nothing. And and by the way, your seven sons and three daughters are history. It's interesting how Satan seems to have control over natural forces. Do you remember when Jesus was on the boat on Galilee and there was a storm that was so bad that the disciples thought they were going to perish? Now, these disciples were not landlubbers. These were guys that were in a partnership in a fishing business on those very waters. They'd been there. They knew what was, what was, what was, what, what was all about, and they were terrified. I suggest to you that that storm in the Gospels is not a natural storm. And, I, and it's interesting. What does Jesus do? He rebukes the storm. He rebukes it. That's an interesting use of phrase. Well, we're down to verse 20. And Job arose and rent his mantle. He tore his clothes. That's a very Jewish thing to do. You know, tear your clothes. Job rose and rent his mantle and, and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And what did he do? What did he do? He worshipped. Really? Shaving the head, of course, was a, 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 a classic form of mourning uh, uh, rituals in Mesopotamia and, and Canaan. And uh, because of its heathen associations, it was forbidden by law uh, in, in, uh, in, in the so forth. But that was later on. You know, this is the first chapter of Job. You know, the next time you have a bad day, the next time you think you've got some bad news and you think you're kind of down, 
<laughs> Read Job 1. Read Job 1 and follow his example. He worshipped. The next time the malignancy of Satan goes to the limit, take comfort in the fact that whatever that limit is, is one that God set. And he will not set that which you can't bear. Scripture promises us that. There's far deeper significance to the book of Job, far deeper reasons for God's permission of tragedy than the ones we usually think of. I could give you a list of ten. We do that when we go through the book of Romans. Why do Christians have trial? There's ten reasons. They're all good ones. There's probably more yet. Primarily the revelation of the mercy and uh, compassion of God. It's interesting, Job, at least so far, has no complaints. C.S. Lewis made a great crack. They asked him, why should the righteous suffer? What was his answer? Why not? They're the only ones that can handle it. Isn't that neat? I love that. That's typical. That's vintage C.S. Lewis. Verse 21. Notice what Job's reaction to all this is. I think this is... Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. I don't think he means he's going to return to the womb. I think you get the... Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The mother here, by the way, don't don't run with this, but implicitly is the earth. In other words, it's not his mother like coming out of the womb. In that sense, he's using the mother's womb as an idiom that he came out of dust. Dust I've come, and dust I'll return. That's sort of the gist of what he's saying. Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he's saying is, I recognize God's sovereign right to do with me as he will. You know, that's an easy thing to say because you can't change it if you, <laughs> if you wanted to. You know, if it's inevitable, relax. The key point is he didn't charge God with doing wrong. He didn't curse. And interestingly, he didn't even curse the mechanisms by which these troubles came. He didn't curse the desert brigands. He didn't curse the frontier guards that were supposed to protect his things. He didn't curse the architect that built the house so poorly that the house that killed all his kids. Was he upset? I have to assume he was, but he didn't charge God with wrong. His amazing response, and I submit there aren't there's probably no one in this room that would argue they would have done as well as Job did. He did better than I would have. I would have grumbled, I can assure you. I may repent of it later, but I would have grumbled. That happens to me frequently, and I don't have any problems like this guy did. Job's amazing response proved that Satan was wrong. You got the picture? Satan said, if you take his stuff, he's going to curse you. He didn't. He let him take it. He didn't. See, God's, uh, uh, Satan's premise was that uh, man couldn't be godly without material gain. And here's a disproof. This man was godly apart from his material gain, the loss thereof. And again, this mother's womb thing in, in, in Psalm 139, Ecclesiastes 5, and Ecclesiastes 12, you'll find that idiom used just of the earth. It's a, I don't want to get into the Gaia thing. Don't misunderstand me. But uh, anyway. It really speaks of the dust of the ground, like in Genesis 2 and 3 and Job 10 and 24. We'll see more of that as we go. Verse 22. We're going to make this. Good. 
In all this, notice what the word of God says. In all this, Job sinned not, nor did he charge God foolishly. He passed the test. God was vindicated. And the question you have to think about on your way home tonight is, how would you have done? <laughs> Don't ask me. I know I would have failed it badly. See, if Satan had his way, every one of us would be in this kind of difficulty. The reason you're not is because God hasn't permitted it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not test you above that you're able to bear. What a precious commitment from the Holy Word of God to each one of us. Dr. Francis Schaeffer pointed out that the first argument of the gospel is not that Jesus died for your sins. <gasps> That's what he said. Francis Schaeffer said, I didn't say it. Francis Schaeffer said. First argument of the gospel is not that Jesus died for our sins, nor that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. I'm not saying that isn't true. That's not the first principle, the first step. You know what the first argument of the gospel is? That God is there. That God is there. You can't do any of that until He's there. You understand? He, God is there. God is real. God really does have a hedge about you. God really is in control. There is a God and He is in control. You start there. And all the rest builds on that. And that's what this book is all about. The book of Job. Fabulous, fabulous book. Fabulous book. Now, relax. We've gone one chapter in one evening and this is a 42 chapter book. If this was a seminary class or something, we might go through it verse by verse all the way through and so on. But I'm not going to drag you kicking and screaming through the book of Job verse by verse, as we usually do with most of the books. We go verse by verse, chapter chapter a week. That's been our style for 30 years. We will try to cluster somewhat. Now, for next time, we will, of course, take chapter 2, but I encourage you just to read ahead a bit. And I won't try to predict exactly how far we'll get next time, but I can assure you it'll be more than just, you know, we're not going to go a chapter. We'll, we'll do, <laughs> we're going to start picking up some speed here. In a sense, there's sort of three sections, the front end, the back end. There are these disc, there, there, then there's these discourses with the three friends. We'll go, go through those. There's a Lihu. There's a strange guy that shows up. And, 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 and that's the subject of a great deal of, of, of uh, conjecture as to what that's all about. But finally, God shows up and answers the three guys for, on Job's behalf, sets their clock for them, and then gives Job a science quiz that's my favorite part of the book. And there's a conclusion and a surprise at the end. And to the, the surprise at the end, I, I especially treasure for some reasons I'll read it when we get there. But uh, the book of Job, we, we hope to... Uh, just so you can get a feeling for what we're going to be doing here, we'll be trying to do the book of Job in about eight evenings. That doesn't mean we're going to go five chapters a time. We're going to do it a little differently. But we're going to try, we'll try, try, I'm going to try. If I fail, we'll extend it a little bit, but I'm going to try to do it in eight evenings because that way it's manageable because I want to give us, give you enough handle on it so you can plunge on your own through. See, our ministry is based on two basic presuppositions. The first, you've heard me talk a thousand times that this is an integrated design, 66 books penned by 40 guys over thousands of years, and yet it's an integrated message which has its origin from outside the dimensionality of time. You can prove all that. That's our basic premise in this mystery. But the second premise, and that is that you can understand it. 
Our premise is that you are capable of understanding the Bible on your own, not by something somebody tells you. Luke warned you, don't believe anything Chuck, in Acts 17.11 he says, don't believe anything Chuck Mistler tells you. But receive the word of, be like the Bereans, receive the word of God with all openness of mind, but search the scriptures day to prove where those things be so. You can do it for yourself. You shouldn't be dependent upon a leader. Learn from him, yes, but you, you want, your, your goal is to, is your own direct understanding from his word. And that is what this is. Those are the two basic premises. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we do, we, we do thank you for your word and for the book and for Job, Father. We thank you for this incredible, incredible example. But Father, we also thank you for that hedge that you put about each one of us. We thank you that you've chosen to protect us from the malignancy of our accuser. We thank you, Father, that you've also committed yourself, that you will not allow anything to come in our lives that we're not able to bear. But, oh, Father, we do pray that the lessons not be wasted, that we might indeed grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to be more responsive to your will in our lives. Help each of us, Father, to fully appreciate you, not just what you've done for us, not just the blessings that you've showered upon us, not just the protections that you've extended to us, but rather, Father, draw us closer to you that we might discern your heart, that we might be more pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Job. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music